I hate canceling services. I guess 4th of July. Okay, fine. No, that's good. Well, we can survive a, a loss of one Monday night, I think. We'll be all right. For all you Monday night addicts out there like me, but anyway. <clears throat> all right, good to see everybody today. We'll talk about getting heaven's attention today. Persistent faith and extravagant love seem to be the two things toward the top of God's list to uh, get his attention, get heaven's attention. And when we say heaven's attention, we're not just talking about them paying attention in a glib way or a quiet way. We're talking about heaven actually answering our prayers and coming to our aid and opening doors that no man could close, healing our bodies, delivering us from evil in every way. So anyway, um, I love these passages I'm going to speak about. And uh, they're sort of in the backdrop of something else that's going on. How many of you are Maybe you're pleased with the recent Supreme Court rulings that have been happening. And uh, I'm just so pleased. I can't believe it, Sean. Of all Sundays, you should come. I'm looking at Sean Coles and his wife, Deborah. Would you guys stand up? So they have sacrificially been serving our country. Uh, Sean has been in the Attorney General's office of Texas. Not just anywhere in the Attorney General office, but way near the top. And uh, I just saw his boss on Fox News just yesterday, Ken Paxton. And and by a word from the Lord that happened in our business prayer meeting, or at least was affirmed that way and deep in his heart for both of them, uh, they ended up, uh, uh, we ended up sending, I say by God's grace, you went, but we sent you with our prayers to that office. And uh, from the time he arrived to now, he's been ascending and God's been giving him more and more grace and authority and power, and giving us a window as to political activities around the country. As you know, some of the main states in the union are leading the other states, and uh, this is quite a time we live in. And we just would like to pray and bless you, okay? Because uh, I know you, uh, you're you you're doing well uh, in your careers, but there's family strains that come with being separated like that, and uh, also uh, the kind of career you're in right now, Sean. Uh, yours is sort of tame a little bit. It's in the mortgage and the, I, I'm in the, the housing industry, which I suppose you couldn't say is exactly tame, but uh, but compared to the Texas Attorney General's office, it is a little bit tamer, right? So I'm going to pray that God would just bless your household. And we, we I believe we sent you like an arrow out of that business prayer meeting. Uh, it was recognized there. We prayed for you there and other things have happened uh, since uh, and uh, uh, for other people as well. And But this has been an amazing time. So, Lord, I mean, I can't believe it. It's so perfect for this, even the sermon, I'm going to say, what I'm going to say at the end here. So, Lord, I just bless these two in Jesus' name. I pray you'd bless their family and their house. So we just thank you for their humble service, how hard they've worked for our country and for you, Lord, in the areas you've called them. I pray, God, you would give Sham and Deborah amazing success. Whatever they put their hand, whatever they put their foot to, Lord, wherever they go, may you bless them in Jesus' name. The sacrificial energy and grace on you is obvious. Thank you, God, for this wonderful sacrifice. And I pray you'd put everything they've given for our country and for their families and sacrificially back on their own head. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And we know the dream of their hearts that they actually have been pursuing for quite some time where Sean would end up. And so, Lord, I pray for that dream in Jesus' name. It would actually come to pass. And uh, you bring him home to California, and he could actually fulfill his heart's desire, Lord, their heart's desire here again in Jesus' name. Again, stretch out your hand over them, but also their family. 
Lord, uh, we just ask that for their son and their daughter, you would protect them, guard them, bless them wherever they go. And whatever they do, whatever they put their hand to, may they also prosper. In Jesus' name, amen. Nice to see you. I didn't know you were coming today. Bless you. All right. So I want to start with Acts chapter 10. We're talking about getting heaven's attention. Anybody would like to get heaven's attention about one or two things? I don't know. I, I never seem to actually lose something I need to get heaven's attention about. So I don't think I'm ever going to probably tell I leave this planet, I'll be praying and crying out for heaven to come and help me in certain areas. I, and so sometimes I wonder if God designs it that way. He makes it so that we are always pressing into God for something. And uh, we have a tendency to wander. I don't guess you notice that in your own life. But trouble has a way of pressing us back into God. But uh, I think I'm getting past just the trouble pressing me into God. I'm beginning to enjoy God's presence and His love and His provision and His talking to me so much. I think I'm getting a, a little bit away from having trouble to keep disciplining me. I think I'm, uh, the love is quite enough. That's the positive side of God that's even better than the discipline side to keep you in line. Love will do things that um, discipline will never do. And God's love is so abundant and so available to all of us. We just have to understand that it is available, first of all, right? So we see this man named Cornelius. He's a Gentile. And um, for us on this side of the ocean, maybe we have a little hard time understanding that sometimes the great divide, especially at Jesus' time between Gentiles and Jews, Jesus actually came to bridge that divide so all the peoples of the earth would come under one lordship. But in that time of Jesus, there was uh, obviously a great separation, and the Romans were occupying. And there's this man named Sep- uh, there's this uh, a centurion named Cornelius. He was actually an officer in the imperial army, right, the, of Rome. So at Caesarea, he's, that's the capital actually of where their occupation of Israel was in that time. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now notice that. So he doesn't know God, but he just sort of knows about God because of the climate around him, right? And he knows there's something there. He doesn't quite know what to do with it, but he gives generously. He was a God-fearer. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. That, like, just pause for a moment there. I have found this to be so incredibly true. If you want to be noticed by heaven, just try this lifestyle. Prayer and giving to the poor and see what happens. It gets heaven's attention. It's like perfume that goes up. Heaven's up there smelling. Hey, something's coming from the Hudgens house. What is that? Oh, I see. He did it again. Whatever, you know, in a good way, right? (laughs) That didn't sound right. Anyway, in a good way. (laughs) So there was something going up in the way of desperate prayer or something going forward to supplying somebody needs or whatever, right? And hopefully over all of our households and our walk, this is far more pervasive than you know far more pervasive, far more real. I've tested this one out over a long period of time, and I've watched people after people, person after person on every continent. This powerful lifestyle. If you want your prayers and gifts to the poor <clears throat> to mean something, you just do it in faith in the name of Jesus, and they come up like God, like a sweet smell. 
Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with, staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So he sends to Joppa to bring this man named Simon back. So you have to remember uh, Cornelius doesn't even know Jesus yet. But he comes to know Jesus because this is the start of the first Gentile church. In other words, this revelation had been to you know, with, with Jews all these years, right? But it spills out to us Gentiles, most of whom are here. Some of us are Jewish, but most of us are Gentiles. And right here at the headwaters, it was started by these simple acts of faith, giving to the poor and praying, praying as best he could to God, right? These two activities always bring the aroma of God, always bring the presence of God in your life. You can't do enough of those, right? And so we see that this uh, massive cultural and religious divide is just crossed right over by this activity. And God starts the church for the Gentiles. That's for most of us and has been in the place for centuries with this person. So he gives Peter a visitation and away we go and they, they connect and the rest is history as they say, right? I want you to look at Mark chapter 4. Verses 24 and 25, and I want to look at uh, a couple of other verses there in 30 and 32. Mark 4, 24 and 25. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So it turns out that God's always speaking, offering, listening. Take care even to what I am saying today. Whatever comes out of your Bible, whatever is in the Lord, be careful with it. Measure it. When God brings revelation and insight, um, he, he has something in mind. What shall we say the kingdom of like, uh, kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds can perch in its sage. So this Cornelius, he's just praying to this unknown God. He's just giving to the poor, has no idea what heaven is responding to. God multiplied these little tiny seeds that were so small, he didn't even know that they had anything to do exactly. He was just hungry for God, and he did this as his lifestyle. And heaven smelled it. When heaven smelled it, they began to respond. And the first Gentile churches started there, this thing that has gone on for the centuries. Guess he picked this person. And the two things that caught God's attention about this Gentile above all Gentiles was his prayer life, seeking God, trying to find God, and this giving to broken people. We don't have to have a warehouse. We get to have a warehouse. We don't have to do this activity with people and you know, who most of the time don't even appreciate what we're doing until they get Jesus. <laughs> then they appreciate it even more. Some do. But we get to do this. This is where heaven's aroma is. And I don't care how rich or how poor you are, it's always the same. You could be a person that's in ter terrible need. Matter of fact, Cornelius didn't really know exactly how bad a need he was in. He just knew he was hungry for God. And he just kept praying toward this unknown God and kept giving to the broken. And he probably was looking around and noticing the synagogue and trying to find God somehow or another, but God found him. God multiplied Cornelius' faith and love even though he was a Gentile. Wow. Such lessons here of getting heaven's attention. Pray, 
and give to the weak and see how heaven notices you. I've tried this in my life for many, many years. It's amazing. I've never been so amazed as I am right now, as a matter of fact. As our church has had this lifestyle increasingly, we see heaven's attention more and more in so many miraculous, crazy, beautiful ways. And I just love this lifestyle so much. Uh, Persistent faith and extravagant love. And that's what he did. He was continually praying. You know, he wasn't even certain what he was praying exactly. He just wanted this God out there. But And he was also persistently giving extravagantly, right? There's people all over our area that are doing this, trying to find God somehow. And uh, Lord, I just pray you'd find anybody in this room in such a deliberate way today. I just pray you would interrupt their life just like Cornelius here. They may be here today, Lord, and they don't even know exactly why they're here. They're just trying to pay attention to you a little bit and the chance that maybe you're really real. So anybody that came here today like that, I just pray you'd bless them and remember them today in Jesus' name. Help them get on this ride that most of the rest of us are on. And may it take them straight to your heart, straight to, to the most wonderful lifestyle on the earth, right? All right, second thing, acts of extravagant love and worship. And so I want to turn to Mark chapter 14, just a few pages from where we are right now, and um, read this story, verses 3 to 9. While he was in Bethany, this is toward the end of Jesus' life, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, we're, we're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. And she did it as just an act of worship. And uh, there's a lot to this jar, which I don't have the time to go into today, but um, it seems weird, even crazy. But uh, this was very special. It had a very big ceremonial uh, emphasis and reason for being, but I won't go into that. But just the thing is, this was worth a lot of money, and she poured it on Jesus' head. So verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? I might have been one of those. (laughs) Why are you doing that? I probably would have said this other thing. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. Can you imagine? She pours out a year's worth of wages. What's your year's wages on Jesus' head? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly, and they're thinking that Jesus is going to back him up. Yeah, what in the world are you doing here? I don't need this stuff in my hair. (laughs) Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body before and to, beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And it's being told right now, 2,000 years later. I'm talking about this woman. Talk about influence. Talk about grace. And what did she do? She worshipped Jesus extravagantly. I don't know what you think about the worship time. I'm hoping that most of you have matured, it seems like you have, to a place where... See, that's not the warm-up to the sermon or anything else. This is the, the service. Coming here week after week, day after day, for some of you maybe, worshipping the Most High God giving him his honor and his due, celebrating his death and his resurrection like we did at communion, 
This is honoring heaven, and heaven has a reward for it as well. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. He knew that he was going to die. This highly significant act was done there in that obscure village and place. And yet today, here we are, 20 centuries later, in a distant country, celebrating this woman. Talk about famous. Wow. I just think that actually when we walk with God, when we honor what God honors, it always turns out well. Wherever the gospel is preached, in every tribe, tongue, and nation, this person will be mentioned. Wow. Even as it is today. And we see this other thing happening. We see Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. As the church is expanding and growing, they get arrested for preaching. They're attacked, ordered to be beaten and uh, stripped. They've been severely flogged. Verse 33, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once... All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his household. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. But it didn't stop there. So they come the next day, and they've heard of what's happening and all that, and they're begging Paul, please, please, would you leave our town? He goes from jail to them begging him, please, please leave. Please go, right? And Paul says, you know what? Hey, we're Roman citizens. You beat us, and you shouldn't have done that without a trial. And now you're trying to get rid of us? He's just showing off there a little bit. (laughs) So finally, he goes and leaves. But something's transformed from a horrible situation into a glorious one. Could it be that horrible situations like you coming to church and you've come with you. I know none of you have any problems, but just in case somebody had some problems and they brought them in here. And you're just worshiping God anyway. Do you know what sows to heaven and heaven's goodness when you do that? You sow seed. It's like you're making the clouds dark, the spiritual clouds, so it can rain on you. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. You don't have to worship. You get to worship. When you worship, heavens come down. God notices. Especially when you're in trial or difficulty, extravagant worship, like two worshiping in jail. I won't tell you this story all over again, but many of you, I'll just remind you of the story. There's another Paul, and his name is So Paul. I've been thinking about him a lot in Cambodia. He got thrown into a jail, and he was left for dead. They were starving him death to death slowly but surely. This was during the time of the Khmer Rouge and then the Vietnamese. And uh, this, at this time, it was the Vietnamese. And he's in this cell, and he begins to worship God. And he sang that song I've told you about. 
maybe some of you are new, so I'll just, it's such a glorious story, I just can't help but just say something about it. And I think, been thinking about him a lot this week. But he began to sing this song. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. That part. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. I don't think he said the splish splash part, but I think. <laughs> and he, he told me, I said, Paul, how did you learn that song? That's an American song. No, no, he says, you got it all wrong. That's a Khmer song. That's a Cambodian song. And he said, well, I said, why do you say that? And he says, because after I sang that song, the heavens opened above my cell, and I saw the angels singing. And they weren't singing in English. They were singing in Khmer. That's what he said. <laughs> They're worshiping and singing. And so after the angels started worshiping with him, actually all the other people in the cell began to sing the same song. And then you know the story. God provided a way out for him shortly afterward, and a miraculous way out that could have only been designed actually through a Cuban communist doctor <laughs> after that time, just a few days afterward, and he was released. So evidently acts of extravagant love and worship get heaven's attention. There's this widow who brings this secret offering only known to her and God in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Isn't that something? That in itself says a lot. He was watching. He's realizing people are putting this money in, and it's their livelihood. It's money they worked hard for, effort that they put in, right? And here they are sacrificing and honoring God with their giving. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Notice he, he didn't stop the widow from doing that, did he? He didn't say, Wait a minute, you know, here's some money. You know, don't do that. No, he let her put it in because you know what? He knew what was going to happen. Give, and it shall be given to you. He knew that those little copper coins were the road out for her. They were going to help her. And we see this demonstrated in the Old Testament and New over and over again. They gave out of all their wealth, she said, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live in, she gave it. And Jesus was so touched by it, he just, this secret offering, no one knew how much this was. I mean, if it had been, you know, many, many dollars and lots of money put in, and they used to throw actually those coins down, and so it would make a big noise, right, sometimes. That's how they got everybody's attention. Say, look at me, I, I did this great thing, right? But here are the secret offering in this. And I want you to know your offerings, your financial offerings, your offerings of time to give to another person. Maybe someone are taking care of a precious loved one, maybe a wife or a husband or perhaps a friend. Heaven sees all that time and energy. Heaven notices extravagant giving. Heaven notices persistent faith. We see this even more dramatically in 1 Kings chapter 17. When the Bible makes a big deal of these because these are the things that make for real life. And funny thing is, whatever you give to God, he's not a spoiled sport. He has this way of putting it back on your own head. I hope you've learned that. When we're saying getting heaven's attention, it's not only that heaven is clapping, but God is a giver. 
And when you give, he can't help but give back. He just has this habit of doing this. And that's why even when he required the tithe of the early church, and, and from the, by early church I mean the Old Testament church, he knew. He was actually providing for them. He was actually providing something for him to multiply back on their own life. It wasn't a hard thing. It was a good thing. And it turns out that the extravagant gifts that we give, God, <laughs> just to the point you think you're just giving it all and you're losing all this, God puts more back on your own head. And some of us have tried that. Many of us in this room have tried that and have tapped into the extravagance of God. And these stories are in the Bible just to exaggerate for us, just to help us understand how far God takes this and how far he's willing to go with you. 1 Kings 17, 7. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, and the word of the Lord came to him. This is the prophet Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you've said and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. I didn't even hear that part. You know, I, just, I, I don't have enough for you. I just got... Barely a little bit. Did you not hear that? For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So he's making an incredible promise to her. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. But more was coming. He started staying with her, and the Lord is providing for her and Elijah for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. But here's the amazing thing. God is so generous. Not only did he help her, but little did she know she was sowing towards something even greater, something even bigger, something that money couldn't touch. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So she gave everything she had financially, only to have it not only multiplied back, but multiplied back in the form of something she had no idea was about to happen. She received Elijah, the man of God, who stayed there with her coincidentally until the time when her son unexpectedly died. And then he raised her from the dead. Talk about multiplication. Wow. Extravagant love and worship. Getting attention of the one who sees and rewards in secret should be part of our joy and lifestyle for all of us. 
Life isn't what it looks like on the surface. There's so many things that God does behind the scenes. So much blessing God's responsible for that maybe you never even gave him credit for. If you live in this great country, particularly for you that don't travel much, you may not know that most of the rest of the world does not live like we do. We live because of the blessing of God, because of the blessing of obedience of our forefathers, and because of the presence of God through the church in places like this on Sunday morning. The world knows not of these things. They don't think they need us. They try to marginalize us and shut us down. They have no idea that their own prosperity has to do with the prosperity of God's people. Go to the places where God's voice is heard small. I've been to them. And see the devastation and destruction the enemy has wrought. Our land is a beautiful land. One nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. With a concept they carried straight from the throne room of heaven and put into government. That's why we live with the freedom and the blessing that we do. That's why the Lord's made us the head and the, not the tail. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give it to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the streets and synagogues on the streets. See, the problem was the Jews knew how to give. They knew about these principles because they're in the Old Testament. But instead of doing it in secret, they would do it to be noticed. They would, while they were doing it, they, it was like a status thing, right? They do it to be honored by others till they tell you they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, fill out your left hand, know what your right hand is doing, and so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And that's the key thing. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. These acts of kindness and service and blessing that you do in secret, heaven sees and rewards openly. You can never outgive God. You know why I say that? Because God's the ultimate giver of all, knowing full well that there would be a time in history when he would give his only son, who was without sin, and let them let him be killed by evil people so that he could turn around and bless the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The son gave his life freely. The father gave the son. And it results in eternal life. Not just money, but abundance. I came, he said, that they might have life and have it abundantly. But see, the sacrificial seed went in the ground and enabled all of us to come into this magnificent relationship that takes care of our needs and far beyond our needs. When you get to the place where you're going to die, you're going to be really appreciate that because that life lives forever and ever. And it's the most beautiful life imaginable. It's just an amazing uh, place, the description in heaven that we see from the scriptures. If you look at the Roman numeral three, getting heaven's attention, persistent faith and extravagant love. The power of saying thank you. I think you that have smaller children that you're training up, <laughs> and maybe especially teenage children that you're training up, uh, this is especially, uh, you're especially aware of this. Heaven's also aware of thank you. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. I feel like the Spirit's just telling me that, listen, you guys, this has been a difficult time for our country, for our churches, for everybody, right? But don't lose your power to say thank you for what you have. I know there's lots of politics that you don't, might not like, and there's a lot of things going on, but thank God every day for the country you live in. That's one of the reasons why we must contend for it and pray for it, because it's a beautiful place. 
Just take a little trip around the world. You don't have to go any farther than our southern border. <laughs> and now our northern border. <laughs> but all over. Just see. You can tell, my, my. Come back and go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I remember as a young person taking my first trip to Asia, and I, I came back, kissed the ground. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I had no idea. And multiplied millions and billions even. I had no idea. Now on this way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going to a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Now this is an amazing thing because actually it was the last thing that the Jews would have done because they thought these people were cursed. They didn't deserve to be well, right? Right? So, but Jesus said, Go. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. There was this horrible rift between Samaritans and Jews. They absolutely hated one another and still do today (laughs) in that area of the world. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner, him at the Samaritan? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Jesus paused and took a look and saw that thank you. Jesus still does that. He pauses and takes a look. If you want to increase your relationship with the Lord, learn to say thank you a lot. Learn to say thank you around every corner. You'll find the presence of the Spirit rests on you because God likes this. He likes this appreciation. He likes you to appreciate others in your life, blessings in your life. Sometimes life can get hard, kind of extended and difficult. But learning to say thanks in the midst of your trouble is a very powerful way to connect with God. You know, I don't know about you, but I want to get heaven's attention. Anything God likes, I would like to like. (laughs) I found out it works out really good that way, don't you? I mean, it's really amazing. If you look on your outline, this bold cry for mercy. I hope some of you today in our service, maybe on the live stream, made some bold cries for mercy because actually that's part of what heaven expects. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, he's talking about Jesus who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, empathize with our weaknesses. Oh, that's nice to know. Okay, so sometimes empathize. That's that kind of complicated world. He knows. He, he cares. He identifies. He hugs you in your weakness. He, he's there with you in your weakness. Not far away. He's there. He understands weakness because he understood himself and what it was like to be a human being. He allowed himself to be broken, experiencing excruciating death. He understands what it is to be betrayed, hurt, broken, totally rejected. But he didn't deserve any of it. All he came was for good, and all he got was anger and hatred, misunderstanding. He understands. He didn't stop understanding when we went to heaven. He came for this very purpose. He's still a high priest who empathizes with our weaknesses. But we have actually one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet. He did not sin. So because of this, because of who he is by character, because of this nature, then it makes us feel free. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You say, well, I'm not holy enough. I'm not great enough. I'm absolutely true. (laughs) He doesn't care. That's what he came for. 
and faith in the finished work of Jesus. Faith in the forgiveness of Jesus. Faith is what makes the difference. You can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Aren't you glad it's a throne of grace? Throne denotes authority. I don't care what you're going through today. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care if you're experiencing marriage difficulty, if you're experiencing financial difficulty, if you're sick in your body. God's throne is a throne of grace, and we're meant to approach it. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so sometimes I think that feels really bold of us, especially if we're weighed down with our circumstances enough, we just kind of run out of that. We feel like maybe God's mad at us or whatever, but actually that throne of grace is open at all times. It was bought with blood. And we see it all through the scriptures, these people that didn't deserve anything from God. Yet they just cried out for mercy. One of the most powerful things you can ever say, no matter where you are, no matter how much you sin, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter where you are, God sees it all. Goes, God knows it all. One of the most powerful things you can do is say, God, I humble myself. Please have mercy on me. And we see this all through the scriptures, all through Jesus' life. That's why the scripture is so powerful. When you read about him, you understand what Jesus is really like. And it's such an amazing revelation. A lot of people don't understand mercy. And love because they don't ever read the book. They haven't read the whole book. Read it all. From one end to other, you'll see love in this book for you and how persistent faith accesses it. And so we see the story of blind Bartimaeus, one of my, my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus' disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, you have to understand the cultural context. They thought if a person was blind, he was cursed and deserved it. Can you imagine coming to a culture like this? This is the way they thought of infirmity. When he heard it, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people in the crowd rebuked him. Can you imagine? And told him to be quiet. Can you imagine coming to such a culture as this? We can hardly have imagined it. Shut up. You're cursed. You know, if you're experiencing difficulty today, that sense of being cursed, no good, not able to receive blessing, the enemy of your soul and sometimes other people are more than happy to reinforce that in your life. You notice that? Well, I guess I deserve this. I guess I'm no good. That's the voice of the enemy, not God, and certainly not God's people. It shouldn't be God's people. Then he rebuked him. Can you imagine? They're rebuking him. Be quiet. You're cursed. You're no good. Because in their view, when a person was ill or something bad had happened to them, they deserved it. You deserve it. Don't touch this holy man of God, right? Us that are godly can touch him, but not you. We can follow him. You can't even listen. Don't even do it. Son of David, he's, but he cries out all the more. Son of David, have mercy. He doesn't care what they say. He smelled mercy. I hope you're at church, and I hope I am for my whole life person that can smell mercy. When you stop smelling mercy from God, expecting mercy from God, you'll start going the wrong direction. Sometimes life comes so hard and hits us so hard, we just can't imagine God being merciful. Don't ever lose your smell for the mercy of God. It's all around you. That's why Paul writes these crazy verses 
all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's why those verses are in there. He's just taking it straight from understanding who Jesus was. That's why he could even turn around and sing while he's being beaten, singing chained in the middle of a jail cell before the Lord, singing, worshiping, right? She just stopped and said, call him. I mean, he's on his way. People are thronging. Crowds are screaming for him. He hears this person say, son of David, have mercy. He stops. Oh, I can just see that in my mind's eye. When you say, son of David, have mercy, heaven stops. Takes a look. Reminds me of Frodo. <laughs> I don't know why. Just like, remember, he's in the Mount of, he's in that area in the Doom, and the Mount of Doom there has got this searchlight, you know, right? He makes the wrong move, and heaven's and, and that light just comes right over where he's at, right? Well, let's just put it the other way. When we make a move toward God and cry out for mercy, not a place of doom, but heaven's throne room stops, takes a look. Your walk with God depends on believing stuff like this. Your walk with God depends on this. Fully and completely. And the more you believe like this, the happier you're going to be because you're going to discover God. Sometimes we are in this place and we feel like we don't deserve it and God's right there, right near us. And we keep making bad choices. Many times people make bad choices because they've lost sight. They can't see anymore. Extravagant love. Their circumstances have covered them up, and so they make one bad choice after another, trying somehow to fix their own problem. But you just got to call out to God and humble yourself and not be bitter. He's close. If he's close to anybody in this room, he's close to the brokenhearted, you that are experiencing the worst circumstances. He's close to you. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind said, blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Now what in the world? Jesus obviously knew the guy's blind, right? What is it about God that he likes us to say it? Just to declare our need, to say it with our mouth. I want to see. I want a new job. I need a husband. I need a wife. I want a family. I need a house. I need a car. I want to be healed. I want my family to come back together. I want. I think, well, God knows all about that. Oh, does he? Yes, he does. But he waits. So you hear you say this. He obviously understood. He's blind. Jesus understood. He probably even understood he was going to do it. Why did he make him say that? It's an example for us. He's drawing them out. I want to see. What do you want to see? What do you want? I want. Oh, you already knows all about. It. Oh, does he? Yes, he does. He still wants you to say it. I want. He's trying to establish a communication relationship with you. He doesn't want to just be that big blessing in the sky. He wants you to be able to say it. And he wants to touch you. And he wants you to talk back, have conversation, and walk with a living God. And sometimes, for us, the only doorway for us to actually try that door out is our broken places. Then we come close. I don't know why it is. You would think that we come to that place so freely. The more money we have, the more prosperity we have. But somehow or another, our nature doesn't do that. So God knew that. So these stories are for us. Right after he says that, I want to see, he says, go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately received his sight, 
And he starts following Jesus along the road just like everybody else. I just love that story so much. Mark 5, 21 to 43. You see another one of these stories, and they're all the way. I mean, there's so many in the Bible like this, especially in the Gospels. It's something that uh, I just think it's so important for us all to pay attention to. These these stories, they're meant in there for us. They're, They're not just stories. They're meant in there to tell us a lesson, to teach us about God, to teach us about ourselves. When Jesus had again crossed over by both boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. It's so amazing, this power goes out from him, and he's not not even conscious. It just goes out from him. It's something in the form of a law here. A needy person touches Jesus in faith and says, something comes out of God. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you as disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched my, me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole story, the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Then he ends up at Jairus' house. And they tell him before he goes, you know what? Kid's dead. Don't even bother. And overhearing this, you know, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And he goes in. And uh, Jairus had the wherewithal to let him come anyway. You could imagine the dynamics there. Who's this guy? Where were you, Jairus? She died. You weren't here. What's the matter with you? You know, Jesus knew. And then, of course, I don't think Jesus probably worried about this, but in my humanity, I wonder what if it doesn't work? What if I go in there and just make a big flop and make it worse, right? But he says, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not a dead, but asleep. <laughs> then he just raises her from the dead. What a great story. I just love these stories. They're powerful stories, but they're all about Jesus and weakness. And they're great. I, any weak people out there? <laughs> well, about 75%. The other 25% must be doing pretty good. And then we see the story of Jonah. I won't go into the story. Most of you know about the story of Jonah from the, in the whale, right? But isn't it amazing? He disobeys God, and God helps him to obey. <laughs> he says, you know, you've been going the wrong direction, Jonah. I think I'll remind you that you're supposed to go to somewhere else. And the amazing thing about this is he was sending Jonah to a people that were the most ruthless, brutal people on the entire planet. Do we have any ruthless, brutal people on the planet still? No? No more? We're too good for that? We still got them. So, wow, he's sending a prophet to warn them so he doesn't destroy the whole nation. Makes you think about things, doesn't it? The way God sees things sometimes are really different than we see things. How have you been mad at Russia lately? Just me? You guys. Holy moly. Maybe you just fell asleep. Okay, wake up, wake up. So, Jonah's going to send, you know, <laughs> let's just say this is all reversed, okay? I'm just thinking about this right now. Okay, so, 
God says, you know, I'm going to go send this guy, and if they repent, I'm going to let Moscow off the hook. They're all forgiven. I'm not going to send disaster on them at all. Right? Let's just say, would you honestly want him to go to Moscow right now? Well, sanctified Christians, yes, maybe, but I'll tell you what, you have to think about that for a moment. You mean you're going to let this guy off the hook for all that he's done, for all they've done lately, and just because they say, I'm sorry, and repent? That's the story. Nineveh was twice as bad as any other country our era ever thought about. They're brutal, brutal, brutal. So he sends this person, right? But he doesn't want to go because he doesn't want them to be forgiven. Because he can see, he's a prophet, he sees that these people actually are going to come someday and attack my, my, my own country. I don't want to forgive him. I don't want to go. So he goes the other way, promptly gets swallowed by a fish, right? And he disobeyed. He actually disobeyed God. He's in this fish three days and three nights. And he says, praying these prayers, I have been banished from your sight, verse 4, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, and seaweeds wrapped around my head, all this stuff. When my life was ebbing away, verse 7, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. I would love to see that. I guess I think there's reruns when you go to heaven. I think we get to see that. There he is. (laughs) Okay, I think I'll go. And it didn't end there. It doesn't end there. It's the most amazing thing. When he goes, he's complaining the whole way. He's telling these people to repent, and then he's mad because they repented. He was not in very good spiritual shape, but God had his way. God saw what they did and turned. They turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not kill, destroy Nineveh after all. What a merciful God. And then he's still in a bad mood, and he's hoping that God will just overrule and just destroy him. While he's trying to watch, he's it gets hot, and a plant comes, and was giving him some shade, and then he's really angry about it because then God withers it, and then he says this, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. This guy was having real issues, <laughs> right? But he's the prophet Jonah, but we all got that Jonah in us. It's so important. Heaven is far more extravagant with his love than we can imagine. And persistent faith draws it out, even when you're not so persistent, He did obey. He went. He did it. And then God did it. But oh my. So that brings us to this last part. Shameless, audacious faith gets heaven's attention. I'll tell you what. This one I've lived out uh, not nearly as much I probably should have, but I have seen God do this so many times in so many ways with our own story around here. Just shameless, audacious faith. Nothing but faith. Just stretching out, asking God for help, asking God uh, for mercy and stepping into things, risking things, just to see God bring grace in our lives. So he gives us Lord's Prayer, right? So that's the first few verses. And then he says, suppose you have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no bread to offer him. And suppose the one inside says, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your 
Anybody know what the next thing is? Shameless audacity. He will surely get up and give you as much as, as you need. So I say to you, ask, and the Greek tense there is keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. The one who keeps on seeking finds. That's the tense. That's the way this would be translated literally. And to the one who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, give of his miraculous presence, give himself into that situation. What an amazing verse. This whole thing, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep keep going, keep going. This is so incredibly powerful uh, for us in this day. The faith of the centurion, Jesus was amazed, you know, at this, another pagan. And we see a woman in point A who wouldn't take no for an answer. We see it again, Mark chapter 7, right? And these verses, these are stories we're familiar with, but I want to just uh, move down to Second uh, Kings chapter 20, verses 1 to 11, just for time's sake. And I'll just read, read another little story here, and then we'll get to the last part here. Second Kings chapter 20, verses 1 to 11. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, I went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you're going to die, you will not recover. Now when one of these prophets said you're going to die and you're not recover, everything they said, nothing fell to the ground. It always came to pass. So these kings were very, very aware of it. But somehow Hezekiah finds something deep on the inside. He, he just feels like he's walked with God and, and he just thinks, wait a minute, God, how could this be? And he turns his face to the wall and he prays to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? Isaiah answered, This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or shall it go back ten steps? It's a simple matter for the shadow to go forward ten steps, said Hezekiah, rather have it go back ten steps. And the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord. The Lord made the shadow go back to ten steps. He had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz, and of course, he's completely healed. But he could have received that curse. He could have received that prophecy. By the way, it's from Isaiah the prophet. But something inside of him said, now wait a minute, I know Isaiah is a man of God. But this doesn't sound right. Now this story really gets me because like if I heard from Isaiah and he said you're going to die, I'm thinking, okay, you're because Isaiah, he never missed, right? But think about this for just a minute. What is this that's trying to be taught here? Did God change his mind? Yeah. <laughs> he did. 
Does God say things flippantly? No. It was on his way out. But it drew something out of Isaiah. There's something in this zone of free will that we have, something in this zone of free will, some of expression, something about this partnership with God where we actually are somehow really partners. It's not all foreordained. God knows, but there's this interaction. There's this thing. There's this pull. There's this thing between heaven and us. And the more you learn and you understand it, the more you're going to understand God and see his hand move. Many circumstances come in our life, maybe even reinforced by false or true prophetic voice. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. But there's always that zone. There's always that place. There's always that reaction of God's people getting heaven's attention with persistent faith and extravagant love, crying out to him, this prayer thing. God is always listening. He always responds to faith. This persistence of God's people has this amazing quality of going past everything. We see this last story here. Jehoash, king of Israel, responding to the season of God's favor. I want to read this story. Could I just say something to you about our own circumstances now in our country? We're in the season of God's favor. If you want to listen to evil and the voices all around you, you would think there's no favor to be found. Oh, you deserve what you're getting. You're going down the toilet like the rest of the nations because you've sinned, killed too many babies, you've done too much wrong. You deserve it. Really? I am sure we deserve all of that and more. But that's not the central question. The question is, what is God people going to do now? Who are we? We're in the crucible of testing. Wait a minute. This is a, those are all Bible stories. This is the 20th century. Still the 20th century? 21st century. Okay, so it's the 21st century. I just lost the whole thing. I was crescendoing there. I was moving up there, you know. Yes, but in weakness, I'm strong. I'm saying something really, really important now. 1 Kings 13, verse 10. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, became, there's a lot of Jehoes in there. He became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. and did not return away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them, right? And then verses 14 to 19. He's not acting like a good guy, but God had promised to get these people off their back. And it was a horrible situation Israel was living in. Uh, the Syrians had attacked and oppressed and oppressed and oppressed them. And so they didn't deserve any of this, but God desires, desires to have mercy on, the, on Israel for a while. So he's going to do it in this very special way because they had sinned and sinned and they deserved everything they were getting. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king 
of Israel went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands, opened the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot the arrows, Lord of victory, and the victory over Aram. Now, Aram had just about destroyed everything there was of Israel, destroyed their entire army. There's only like... If you read earlier, they have 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 soldiers. That's all that's left. They have nothing left of their army. They could be destroyed at any moment. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. Elisha died and was buried. Then we see up at higher, verse 24, the result. Then Jehoash, of Jehoaz, verse 25, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Haziel, the towns he had taken in battle. And his father Jehoaz, three times Jehoash defeated him. And so he recovered the Israelite, time, the Israelite towns three times, but he could have had five or six times. What is that? He just hit it. But he could have just went, bam, 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 bam. All right, I can't wait, you know. But he didn't. He stopped short. He stopped short. You should have struck the ground five or six times. This shameless, audacious faith. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. That's what God's drawing out at this time. It gets heaven's attention. Now's the time to pray more than ever. A Supreme Court ruling was reversed the other day. It looked like it turned on a dime. But it's been in motion for quite some time. Because the people of God have been crying out for justice for quite some time now. And it turned. And if the people of God will continue to release their faith toward him, we will change more than that. It'll keep on going. And so this persistent attention to God, this consistent crying out to God, and all the actions of being the salt and light of the earth and the care for the poor and all these things, get heaven's attention. But he already is listening to us anyway, you know, because there was this sacrifice, and it was done by Jesus, giving us a throne of grace to go to freely. And we have that. The only thing that will not work is us dying up, shriveling around, and not striking the ground. And now is the time to strike the ground, not once, not twice, not with some shriveled up little prayer, not some little prayer meeting in the corner, hoping that God does something. It's time for the entire church to stand up and see and smell victory in the air, because there is victory in the air if you care to accept it. And these people, like my brother Sean, who just happens to be here today, and other government officials, they're just the tools of God, but it's the prayers of the saints. 
It's the attention of the church to these matters. It's the crying out, getting heaven's attention, the shameless, audacious faith of coming to God and striking the ground over and over again until this thing changes that will make the difference. And we have it in our hand. It's in our place. This little thing that just happened with the Supreme Court just the other day, you'll hear in the news all this reaction and there will be this backlash and the enemy will puff himself up and try to look horrible to us. He'll try to look like we're not going to stand for this and he's going to try to do this and rummage around but he knows that something significant has happened because the saints have been crying out for years. It's only when the saints stop crying and stop being the church that uh, he's out of danger. But while we're here, God's kingdom will come. And it's so important that we don't just strike the ground once or twice. But we keep going. We keep speaking. We keep praying. We keep crying out till this thing is done. Till this thing, till justice comes. And the unborn are protected. Because it's not just the unborn that's the issue here. It's not just this little abortion thing in the corner. It's everything. Because when they take that and they start murdering babies freely without any kind of resistance, they'll go for everything else that's kind and good in the land. And they'll pollute it like other countries in the world have. And devastation will come our land and there'll be destruction. But the only ones standing in place, the only ones prevented are the people of God. And godly people in high places crying out day and night until this changes. And we have the authority to do that because we can get heaven's attention. We can get heaven's attention. And that little mercy warehouse over there, that's the greatest gift to everybody in this room. You know why? Because when you help the poor and the weak, you get heaven's attention. And heaven's attention is extravagant. It's good measure. It's pressed down. It's shaken together. You don't have to give. You get to give. Because you can never outgive God. Don't strike the ground once or twice and you're giving and you're sharing with the poor and the weak. Hit it as many times as you can because heaven's gates are wide open for people to do that. And provision is good measure, pressed down and shaken together. And this justice that we bring, heaven loves it. Heaven loves the aggression and the prayers. Prayers of the saints have been going on day and night for years and years over this abortion issue. Now there's a crack in the wall. There will be a counterattack. Don't be worried about it. There will be a counterattack. Always is. The question is where we're going to stop slamming the arrows down the ground when the counterattack comes. We just keep going. We just keep pressing. Keep pushing whatever way we can to bring justice in the earth. That's what we are. We are the salt and the light of the earth. That's what God made us. I didn't call myself that. God calls me that. I am the salt and the life. What I do, what I pray, what I say makes a big difference. It rearranges the atmosphere above. So that what comes down below is justice and grace and mercy, getting heaven's attention, persistent faith, and the prayer that flows for it, and the actions that flow for it, and persistent, extravagant love. I predict that one thing the Lord is going to do with the church is going to give us this persistent faith. We see it ex ex exhibited all over the country, especially in people like Sean there. Sean, it's a hard thing that you're doing. I know. I've talked to you. These people that are up at the top trying to give grace and uh, trying to get grace for us and mercy over the land, it's a hard land. It's a hard way to go. It's, politics is a very, very rough, rough business. They've been sacrificing and sowing sacrificial seed, as have many, many people in state departments and 
countries all around the world, but especially in our own and also in the state governments. Oh, what a time to live. But also what a time to live. We pray for our authorities. We respect them. We honor them. You know, sometimes people think, well, we're getting a little too political. I think it's past that time now. (laughs) Uh, It's past time not being political. But are you prayerful? The only thing I don't like about being political is arrogance. It goes the wrong way. I've heard it. I hear it in the media. I hear it everywhere. Just be careful that as we're going forward, staying our rights, you don't become arrogant. Arrogant, there's a fine line there. The only thing we got going for us is God on our side. So we can boldly do that. There's a difference between boldness and arrogance. The world smells, smells arrogance, but you can be bold without being arrogant. You can tell the truth without being arrogant. You can do this. Now, they may see it that way anyway, but heaven knows the difference, and we've got to make sure that we know the difference. When we're being bold, we've got to be careful about how we carry ourselves, right? And also, while we're doing all this great stuff, don't forget the weak. Don't forget the broken all around us. Our culture's been shattered partially because of our own sin. It's been shattered partly because of bad decisions by our own government. But mostly our sin. It's shattered. Mental illness and all the other issues are rampant in our culture. And the drug addictions and all the rest. And you know, and I'm looking around all of you, and I can see story after story of broken households, broken families. But I tell you a secret. If you'll be kind to the poor and kind to the weak, God will be kind to you and your family. Always remember. Always be extravagant. Always don't be afraid to give extravagantly to the weak, even in different nations and places. Whatever blessing we give out will come back in your own head. God's very, very wealthy, evidently. And he's not chintzy like you think. He loves to take your seed and turn it back onto your own head and bless your own life. His intent is always for you to do well. Your family do well. You do well financially in every way. Never forget that. But his eyes are always on that blind man that's crying out and screaming out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Some people are crying out for mercy. They don't even know that's what they're crying out for. They're so blind, they don't even know they're crying out for anything. They're praying for hope from somebody somewhere, and we can give that to them. That's part of our job description. So while we're doing justice, we do mercy, and you mix them together in one pan, and you got life, and you got our country back, and you got the people of God shining like the bride of Christ they are, like the beauty of the reflecting heaven in every continent, in every place. That's our destiny. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. We have the worship team come. Lord, I just ask you that today you would hear the prayers offered for every sick person in the room, every damaged family. If I could have some ministry team people come. By the way, we're having a ministry team meeting tonight for you that are interested in uh, uh, in praying for people. And I hope you are because uh, we're wanting to recruit more and more people. We just have to go over again since the COVID crisis. We've had to pull back a little bit, but now we're ready to pray for people uh, individually here in the front, right? So I have some ministry team people. Just come up for a minute. Um, could you just come up and line up across the front? Because I'm going to ask people. I just feel like there's some miracles in the, the crowd waiting to happen today. And if you would just serve and... Uh, So I'm the one that's speaking today, but listen, to us together, we pray for people, just ordinary believer to believer. That's all we need. It didn't say two special believers. It just said two people agree on anything. I'll do it. So our ministry team is like, there are people that will be willing to pray for you about any specific need. 
And in light of what I've said today, I encourage you, uh, if you just feel uh, the Lord wants you to, or maybe just feel a special need in your heart, and you'd just like to pray over something in your life, let's just ask God today for it. You could do it from your seat just as well. There's something about the act of faith coming down and having someone individually pray for you that um, is really quite remarkable, right? And uh, we don't have any more ministry team than this. Surely we have more. That... So if you're not on the ministry team but you'd like to pray for someone, come up to the front. I need more people. So just come up if you like to pray for people. And just come on up. Help, help pray. We appreciate it. I'm telling you, if you listen to me today, you're going to be surprised what happens. The Lord's already been speaking to me about this service. Some of you have had sickness for a while now. I believe today may be your divine appointment or maybe a start of your healing path in this lowly little place on this 4th of day, 4th of July weekend. How would you like the independence from sickness? Maybe you're not worried about your body. Maybe you're worried about your family or your money. Come. We'll pray for you. Prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Prayer gets God's attention. Lord, would you hear every prayer that's uttered privately today? And every prayer we pray for each other, would you just come? I pray for any of you that need wisdom today. And as you pause before the worship today, may God give you wisdom for your life. Some of you need wisdom about your family. What do I do? Some of you need wisdom about where do I move now? I don't know what to do. There's so much confusion about whether you should stay or go, move to Texas, stay here. It's a complicated time, but God has an answer, and he has an opinion, by the way. He has an opinion. Lord, I pray you'd make that kind of thing clear because some of us are confused about whether we should move or not. I pray you'd make it clear to them as we just honestly pray to you. Some are sick today as they come forward today. I pray you'd heal them. Lord, would you leave behind a blessing? Hear our prayers. We thank you as a group for what you're doing with the Supreme Court thing. And there's more to follow. And the enemy will retaliate and try to do more. But, Lord, we're going to come back harder. We already know he's going to try to retaliate. Lord, I pray, God, you'd give the people a backbone. They would come back even stronger. And I pray every time the enemy retaliates, your retaliation would be greater in Jesus' name. More, Lord. Every time we come back to you in prayer from one of those retaliations, I pray it even be more victory over us personally and over our great nation. God bless America. Lord, you already have and you will again. Do it again, Lord, more, even in this time. May your grace come to us. May we do the things that you like. Lord, may we be exploit, do exploits of justice and mercy in our own government and every attorney general's office in America and everyone that has a different opinion than you do, I pray, God, you would turn their head and turn their attention so you could bless them too. God, I just pray for those on the live stream that can't be here. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord restore your household and your family. May the Lord heal your bodies and deliver you from evil this very day in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stay here for a while and pray for each other. And uh, if you'd like to stay, come. Come to the front if you like, and we'll pray for you. And uh, maybe we could have a few more even come to pray. And Lord, I just pray you'd listen to everything we have to say today. Amen.